should unmute myself as well. Good morning, good morning. <laughs> so glad that you joined us. Thank you so much for tuning in to Blue Water Online, whatever platform you are on. We want to say welcome. We want to say thank you. Really glad that you chose to connect with us. We're having a little bit of a hard time with technology this morning because of course we are. That's just part for the course. Hopefully it's working well on your end. Glad that you're here. Over the past year, we are all well aware of what we, as a culture, as a church, as a world, what we've been walking through. Um, this has not been easy on any of us. Uh, however, it has been really good to, uh, one of the things that the news does not report and will not report, but that I am so thankful for, is that um, the, the church has really risen up. The Church of Jesus Christ all over the world, we've seen it even here at Blue Water, the church has risen up and has had an impact, met needs where we can find needs, encourage people, lifted people up, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, now, except for, you know, to offer opportunities for service, opportunities for generosity, and except for the uh, occasional time when we have, you know, made a real plea for unity, um, we haven't said much about the situation from the pulpit. And in hindsight, hindsight, uh, I regret that. Uh, I fear that I have not led very well throughout this uh, process. One of the reasons uh, for that is because we knew very well that there were all kinds of different opinions. Um, people who I love and want to serve and pastor, uh, but who have opinions all different parts of the map, all different uh, opinions. And people feel things very strongly. And what I have uh, seen, well, let's come back to that. I should say that as a board, I don't think I'm stepping uh, out from what I should or shouldn't say, but as a board, the elders here at Blue Water, we have been uh, quite divided. I, I might even say sharply divided on how, how this church should respond to the current situation. Um, this new for us, we've never had a, you know, something where we didn't have consensus before, and uh, I think that um, we were frozen by a bit of an impasse, and I fear that that has caused us to not lead as well as we should, and I'm sorry for that. To try to rectify the situation, what we are going to do is we're going to try and take the next couple of weeks and have a very forthright conversation, a conversation about how Christians should respond to the government um, in this situation or in other situations? Where are the lines in the sand that, that Christians cannot cross? Um, how do we allow for conscience issues among Christians who genuinely disagree and still maintain unity in the body of Christ? So we're going to explore those questions over the next couple weeks as well as others. I should say that there is a lot that could be said. Um, and we're not going to have as much time as I would like to cover this. I also anticipate that I'm probably not going to make a whole lot of friends over the next couple of weeks. Uh, because one thing is for sure, everyone feels things very, very strongly. Uh, and the conversations that I have had with people have often ended not very well, even though I've tried to be gracious, because we feel things very, very strongly. Now, I realized, I real, realized it too late, but I eventually realized that, uh, uh, you know, 
it's useless basically to try and convince anyone of anything right now because we all have our minds made up. We all have uh, the data points and the talking points that we lean into. We have all read articles that we believe more than other articles, and so we have leaned into those type of things, and nobody is willing to listen to the other side of something. Let's just call it what it is. Um, if we're honest with ourselves, and if you were honest with yourself, I think you would probably agree with me that when it comes to someone who is on the other side of uh, this issue, you think that they're a buffoon. You do. So I've stopped trying to convince people about anything and really my uh, intention here this morning and next week is not to try and convince you of anything. My uh, intention, uh, because that would be an exercise in fut futility, I think, what we are going to try and do is to help us understand why we think what we think and to see where the scriptures and faithfulness to Christ intersect with being a good citizen of our country. And at some point, we're going to have to talk about where the line is when, as believers in Jesus Christ, when we stop being good citizens of this nation, because first and foremost, we are citizens of a heavenly country, the kingdom of God. Now, it seems to me that in this whole past uh, year, as we've tried to navigate this, there are functionally, there are uh, basically four positions that people fall into. There are four positions that Christians who want to respond or who do respond to the current situation have fallen into. We're going to look at those four positions. Let's start with the first one. We're going to start over here. The first position that people fall into is called, we're going to call it scared. People can be scared, and there are many different reasons why people would fall into this category. Uh, sometimes it's because of maybe a health concern uh, for themselves or for someone that they love, and so uh, they are scared about, uh, you know, we could call this maybe an understandable or maybe an overabundance, depending on where we fall, uh, of caution. Sometimes people fall into this category because they listen to the news. They listen to the news uncritically. The problem is not that we intake media, that we uh, ingest media. The problem is not that we read the news or listen to the news. The problem is if we do so uncritically. Now, we need to have a brief conversation about this because we all need to understand that there is no such thing as an unbiased anything. I am not unbiased. Any of the news that you listen to is not unbiased. Everyone, everything has a bias. And we need to understand the bias of the, the news that we listen to. Their first thing is not to tell you the truth. Understand that. Uh, like Tony Kornheiser says, the answer to all your questions is money. Their first thing is to get your eyeballs on the screen or to get you to click on their headline. And if they get your click, then maybe they'll tell you the truth through the lens of their bias. But understand, their first thing is not to tell you the truth. So if, if, if they can uh, get you coming back to their site day after day, hour after hour, click after click, then their first job is done. So, listening to the news uncritically. Sometimes people arrive at this uh, point number one, position number one, called scared because of their privilege. Have you ever heard anyone say recently, check your privilege? 
picking up from a buddy of mine a, a, a phrase. I, I don't know if he coined it or if he picked it up from somewhere else. I've not heard anyone else say it, but, but a friend of mine talks about Zoom privilege all the time. Do you know what Zoom privilege is? Zoom privilege is uh, for those of us who have been able to do our uh, job by, via Zoom so we can stay home and, and, and not miss a paycheck, uh, whether it's the type of job that we're in or perhaps we're retired or what have you, we can stay home with really very minimal uh, uh, inconvenience to our life. And I get tremendously frustrated when I hear people who have Zoom privilege going on ad nauseum about how we need to stay home and stay safe. Because there's a, a real degree of classism. You've heard of racism. There's a real degree of classism when people say that, sometimes. The reason is because they don't think everyone should stay home and stay safe. Like the, the people who make their food and, and bring their skip order when they want to order food in, they don't think those people should stay home and stay safe. The people who stock the shelves at the grocery store and who bring the food out to their car when we just pull up to a parking spot and load the food into our car for us, we don't think those people should stay home and stay safe. It's only certain people, usually people like me, who need to stay home and stay safe. So, so if we have Zoom privilege, that can often lend to us falling into this category called scared. I guess other people who would fall into this category are those who just flatly don't trust the Lord. They might say they do, but often there's a, a degree of, um, of control that like in a global pandemic, of course, we, we, none of us feel like we have control. There's a lot going on that we can't control. And if we're going to stay home, if we're just going to turn in on ourselves and stay in our own little bubble, there's a measure of control that we feel like we can have in a world when other things are going out of control rather than trusting the Lord. Do you trust the Lord? Or are you scared? The distinguishing mark of the people who fall into this category as opposed to some of the other categories is that um, their fear has caused them to, uh, to not care what the scripture says. By the way, it's not just this category. It's also we're going to see it when we get to the other end. The other end of the spectrum really doesn't care what the scripture says either. We're ruled by our feelings. And since we're ruled by our feelings, we're scared. The second category that people fall into, we can see we're going to call it cautious. The category that we're going to call cautious. Now these people, um, these are people who's, and hear me, because there's a distinct difference between those two categories. People who fall into the category of cautious, these are people whose best and most honest interpretation of the scripture Okay? Their best and most honest interpretation of the scripture would be, and, and applying it to our current situation, that we need to honor and respect and follow the government mandates because of the Christian's responsibility to be good citizens. They would say the government has not uh, said that we can't worship. The government has not said you can't worship Jesus. The government has said you need to change how you worship Jesus. You need to change how you worship for a short time. The short time argument is getting more and more difficult. We're more than a year later. 
in their best and most honest interpretation of the scriptures that we need to be good citizens for now and follow these mandates and regulations. When, as I have talked to people, what I have found is that people who fall into this category tend to have what I think is a, a good and admirable uh, a priority of wanting others to know about Jesus. And so they would say, L- listen, in your pushback against the government, don't uh, cause someone else who doesn't know Jesus to turn off. Don't allow them to, to just throw Jesus out before they hear about Jesus because of how you want to interact with the government. The third position that people fall into, we'll put it right up here. The third position uh, we can call reluctant disobedience. Austin, did you, 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 uh, <laughs> you gave away my, my surprise. <laughs> reluctant disobedience is the third category. People who fall into this category, there's gonna be a lot of similar verbiage to number, category number two, but people who fall into this category because of their best and most honest interpretation of the scripture, genuinely feel like what the government is asking Christians to do right now is against our conscience, is against the, uh, the commands of Jesus, and so we need to be practicing civil disobedience because of their best and most honest interpretation of scripture. These people would say that the Lord has commanded his people uh, to gather that, that the gathering, the physical gathering of the saints is not something that's uh, peripheral to the Christian faith. It's something that's central. This is what Christians have always done, even when it's illegal, even if they have to do it underground. They always have met uh, because of the command of the Lord to gather. Christians have always said that when the command of earthly powers comes into conflict with the commands of Christ, we need to obey the Lord first, whatever the cost. It's not fun. It's not popular. There is a cost to it, but obedience to Christ comes first. Whether it costs fines, whether it costs social stigma, Even as we have seen for some pastors in Canada, whether it has cost jail, it is because of obedience to Jesus Christ. And whatever the cost is, it's worth it in obedience to Christ. Who would have thought a year ago that in our country, Christian pastors would be jailed for having church services and preaching the gospel? Who would have thought that? By the way, the thing that I think has broken my heart maybe more than anything else throughout this whole situation, throughout this whole past year, is seeing brothers and sisters in categories two and three throwing stones at each other and slandering each other. It's broken my heart to see my friends who are in category three um, throwing stones at people in category two and saying, they're just being faithless. Well, People in category one, I would agree, are being faithless, but it's broken my heart to hear that verbiage. What I have heard a lot more of is people in category two throwing rocks at those in category three and impugning motives and saying, uh, for example, those pastors that have been arrested because they are standing up 
for, for uh, their best interpretation of scripture, saying things like, oh, they're just troublemakers. Well, I'm sure that we're gonna talk about those who will be just troublemakers, but I have friends who have been in that situation. And I'm telling you, it's not because they're troublemakers. It's because they are being faithful to their best reading of the scripture. And we can agree or disagree with them, but it takes a ton of courage to do that. And if you've been throwing rocks either direction, hear my words. You need to repent. You need to repent because it's wrong. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters who are paying the price in many different ways. And I hope you hear the seriousness in my voice. And now you're seeing why I said I wasn't going to be making a lot of friends in this sermon. <laughs> The first category, those who are scared. The second category, those who are cautious. Third category, those who are reluctantly disobedient. And then we need to talk about the fourth category on this end of the spectrum. Let's talk about those who are rebellious. Those who are rebellious. And there are the, the people in this category uh, are, are angsty. They love stirring the pot. They love being the devil's advocate. They just want to kick up dust and make a mess of things. They don't really care what the scripture says either. This is just an opportunity for them to uh, feel angsty and stir the pot. And uh, that's for those who, <laughs> this has been a great opportunity for that. Now, it seems to me that this is the continuum of how Christians have responded in the current situation. I need to ask you, what position do you think you are in? Where would you plant yourself if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and how would that follow uh, this, cat, this uh, spectrum that we're seeing in front of us? And it's really hard to know yourself. It's really hard to put yourself accurately into one of those positions. So I think maybe the more important question is not where do I land? I think the more important question for those of us who love Jesus and serve Jesus and worship Jesus and follow Jesus, the more important question is how do you treat those who end up in a different spot than you do? Do you slander them? Have you been slandering them? Do you need to repent? I think uh, what we need to do for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, when it comes to treating brothers and sisters who are different, I think we need to follow the direction of the Apostle Paul, what he said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. We're going to put it up on the screen for you. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, and we urge you, brothers, and by the way, let's just push pause. When he says brothers, he means it in the old-fashioned term brethren, which uh, means brothers and sisters, okay? So he says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So how does this apply to this situation? Well, let's talk about warn the idle. When Paul talks about the idle there, he's talking about those who are lazy, certainly, but, but more than that, he's talking about those who are rebelliously so. <laughs> they are rebelliously lazy. So we can draw some connections to those who are in the fourth category here, those who are rebellious. And Paul tells us how we should respond to them. And for those who are rebellious, Paul says we need to warn them with sternness in your voice. 
the posture of a pointed finger. Knock it off. And so if you find yourself in this far category, hear the sternness in my voice. Knock it off. Repent. You're not being helpful. You're not being faithful to Christ. You're being rebellious. You know what the scripture says about rebellion? It's as the sin of divination, witchcraft. You think you're just playing the devil's advocate. Guess what? You are. Scripture says it's the same sin as witchcraft. Knock it off. Warn those who are idle. Next, he says to encourage the timid. What is timidity? Who are those who are timid? Well, those, that's those who are scared. And you don't shake a finger, stern voice, warn those who are scared. Paul says we need to encourage the timid. The posture of arm around the shoulder. And hey, let's move forward together in correction. So let me just remind you that what you may have forgotten, if you find yourself in the scared category, in the scared position, you don't need to fear death if you are a Christian. You don't need to fear death. Death is an enemy, certainly, and none of us are are looking forward to dying, certainly, but if you're a Christian, your Lord has conquered death. He's defeated death. You don't need to fear death anymore. The Apostle Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. So, so Christians are not part of some um, suicide cult. It's, it's not like that at all. Uh, we, we don't go around looking for death, certainly, but we certainly don't fear it. Death has no hold on us. For those of us who are Christians, Hear me, and please let me remind you by way of encouragement. For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, what we are experiencing right now is the closest to hell that we will ever experience. This life for Christians is the closest thing to hell that we will ever experience. And when we close our eyes for the last time in this life, we will open them to see Jesus and glory and eternal joy. We don't need to fear death. Jesus has won the victory over Satan and sin and death. You don't need to be scared. Warn the idle. Encourage the timid. He continues on and says to help the weak. Well, who is weak as it pertains to this? Uh, I I think that those who are weak are those who uh, have not put the requisite time in to think through and process through and, and study through how Christians should respond to uh, the government in this type of situation. So for those of us who have not done that yet, This is what we are trying to do this morning and next week. We are trying to help those who are weak. And the thing that's over top of it all, the fourth thing, warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with all. Be patient with all. There are a couple of passages in the scripture that have got a lot of airtime over the past year. Um, I think more has been spoken, written, 
about them over the past year than maybe has ever been written about them in the 2,000 years of church history. (laughs) We're gonna put them on the screen for you. The first one is Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, here's what it says. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. The second important passage would be uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And here is what it says. It says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now again, I think more ink has been spilled about those couple of passages in the past year than ever in the history of the church. And uh, right now, you could do a quick Google search and you could find uh, articles and blogs and uh, sermons from people in every single one of these categories, every single one arguing and and, uh, uh, leveraging both of these passages for their position. There's a lot that could be said about this. But whatever else is being said in these passages, whatever else Paul and Peter are saying, what we need to agree on is something that they're not saying. What we need to agree on is that they are not saying that uh, Christians always obey the government no matter what. They're not saying that. And the reason we know that they're not saying that is because context is important. Context is very important. For example, the contextual note (laughs) that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans, chapter 13, that we just read, while in prison. All we have to do is read through the book of Acts and you can see time and time again why the Apostle Peter who wrote the second passage we just read and Paul time and time again found themselves, well in Paul's case, uh, beaten, beat up, stoned, kicked out of town. In Peter's case, regularly thrown into prison because the authorities said one thing and they said, nah, we're not doing that. Stop talking about Jesus, no. We're going to put you in prison. That's fine. Our allegiance is to Christ first. So whatever else those passages are saying, they are not saying that the government has the final 
authority. Because for Christians, Jesus has the final authority. And when the government and the dictates of the government conflicts with what our Lord says, then we say no to the government. We need to understand that Christians are not revolutionaries. Hear me? Christians are not revolutionaries. I think the default position for Christians should be to give the benefit of the doubt to the governing authorities. I think that's at least what those passages are saying. We are not revolutionary, but Jesus has no rivals for us. So when the dictates of a government comes into conflict with the dictates of our Lord, we say no first to the government. And we're happy to pay the price for doing so. So where does that leave us as a church? Because again, I'm not, as I said at the beginning, I'm not trying to convince any of us or anything. You won't be convinced. Where does this leave us? Well, thus far as a church, we have obeyed the dictates and the demands of the state. We have worked within the framework diligently and as imaginatively and creatively as as we can. Um, I need to say that our staff and key volunteers are... uh, Creatively exhausted, I think, is probably the best way to say it. (laughs) We've taken the posture of being compliant but grieved. Compliant but grieved. In other words, we're going along with this, but we are doing so under protest. And the reason why uh, I say that we're doing so under protest is, as I've I've said before, uh, my expertise, I, I am not an epidemiologist, okay? No one is asking me what the best way is to deal with infectious diseases. Neither would I expect them to. (laughs) However, my expertise is as a pastor. And I see, I would dare say, a lot of things that epidemiologists and health experts don't see. And what I see, I can say without hesitation, I am not in any way convinced that the Uh, solution is better than the problem at this point. That the solution that we've been living under for all this time is worth what we are getting out of it. As I have taken to saying, uh, this is not original with me, but I've been saying it a lot over the past year, it's not a matter of whether, but which. It's not a matter of whether, but which. The issue is not whether we are going to protect lives and save some people. That is not the issue. The issue is which lives we're going to prioritize and which lives we're going to trample on in order to protect some. It's not a matter of whether, but which. All choices have consequences. All choices have consequences. So where do we go from here? How do we proceed as a church with such radically different opinions? Probably won't surprise you to hear me say that the place that we start is with Jesus. Because the church of Jesus Christ has always been made up of people who have radically, radically different opinions about a whole lot of stuff. In fact, if you think that the opinions, the difference of opinions we've talked about here is significant, this is nothing compared to what the church of Jesus Christ has gone through in many places. Going away from my notes here, forgive me, uh, 
but I've talked to our friends in Quebec and uh, I've said to our friends in Quebec, like, hey, how many of you guys are separatists versus how many of you want to stay in Canada? <laughs> That's the situation they're having. Uh, how about, I was talking to my daughter not too long ago about the situation in Palestine. How about Palestinian and Jewish Christians who meet together in one church? You think they don't have more traditional animosity between them? Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, barbarians and Scythians. I don't even know what a Scythian is, but apparently they had some animosity towards barbarians. (laughs) Jesus died, hear me, Jesus died to create for himself a people, one people, not a whole bunch of different people gatherings, not a whole bunch of different categories, a people. As we can, pardon me, as we conclude, let me just read for you Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, here's what he says. The Apostle Paul writes, says, for he himself is our peace, talking about Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups into one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So it may not surprise you to hear me say that it's all about Jesus. It begins and ends with Jesus. May we be those who unify around him. May we be those who love Jesus and worship Jesus and follow Jesus unreservedly, no matter what the cost is. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your great love for us that is never ending. Jesus, we thank you that one of the things that your death on the cross means is that you create for yourself a people one from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, Uh, uh, our allegiance to you comes first. And there is something that binds us together that is so much greater than anything that would splinter us apart. We pray that you would help us to continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. That's you, Jesus Christ. And it's to you that we give all glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Friends, don't forget, You are deeply, deeply loved. God bless.